And then um, early 1984 had the beginning of the end of my career happened. Had a surgery, came back from that, was successful in coming back. Played 70 plus games that second year after my surgery. And then it just kind of went downhill from there to the point where I had two more surgeries between 80 four and 86 I had another one in 85 another one in 86 wearing away of the cartilage and then ultimately in August of 87 at the um, ripe old age of 26 my um, playing career was over typically when you see our next guest on TV you know it's time for March Madness however we had the chance to sit down with Clark Kellogg a few months back and talk about his journey from the 8th overall pick in the 1982 NBA draft to a career ending knee injury that led to him finding his faith and purpose in life. He's the man they call the humble, gentle giant. It's Clark Kellogg. Clark Kellogg, uh, appreciate you, man, taking time out of your schedule to uh, to join myself and my partner Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast. Yeah, pleasure. Great to have an opportunity to hang out with both you and Kyle Calvin. So uh, looking forward to it, man. Yeah, yeah, I think it's all, you know, Hearing your voice all these years on CBS, watching the tournament, you know, and I've been getting a chance to to sit down and have a conversation with you. It's kind of surreal. Um, so to get us kicked off, you know, this is the Underdog Podcast, and we like to highlight, you know, that adverse moment or really that underdog moment that someone may have faced in their life. And for us in researching you, you know, 1982, you know, you were the uh, the number eight pick in the NBA draft, and you were one of few rookies in NBA history to average 20 and 10. And on your way to, you know, what looked to be an illustrious career after uh, leaving Ohio State University. But lo and behold, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, chronic knee problems begin to, to take place. Um, can you take us back to that time and, and really when things started to kind of, if you will, go downhill? Yeah, I can. I mean, it's um, a long time ago now, but still fairly fresh in my memory bank. Um, I was 21 years old when I got drafted back in 1982 and had a really strong individual rookie year. Um, I think since then, now there's probably 30, 35 guys in their first year that have done the 2010. But, but when I did it as a rookie, um, I think it was maybe a dozen or so in the history of the league that had done it. Um, so, yeah, I had a promising career cut short because of um, wearing away of the cartilage in my left knee. But going back to being drafted, extremely grateful and excited to realize a dream. I grew up in Cleveland, oldest of five kids, and fell in love with hoops early. And it really was kind of um, the center and throne of my life, basketball. So having a chance to realize all that I did going to college on a scholarship at the Ohio State University and then being drafted. And then um, early 1984 had the beginning of the end of my career happen. Had a surgery, came back from that, was successful in coming back, uh, played 70 plus games that second year after my surgery. And then it just kind of went downhill from there to the point where I had two more surgeries between 80 Four and 86, I had another one in 85, another one in 86, wearing away of the cartilage. And then ultimately in August of 87, at the um, ripe old age of 26, my um, playing career was over. My knee just couldn't take the rigor and strain of being an NBA player. So uh, yeah. I had to give it up. 
had to um, pivot, and uh, that was hard, man. I tell you, it was uh, a lot of tears were shed by uh, me and my wife, um, other family members, uh, when that chapter was closed prematurely, at least in my mind, prematurely. And yet, um, faith in God through Christ, um, the support of family and friends, an opportunity um, to stay in the game um, as a broadcaster with the Indiana Pacers, really gave me a um, turn-the-page opportunity still in the game of basketball. So I was fortunate. But it was hard, that period of going through the rehab, the surgeries, trying to get back out on the court, and then ultimately realizing that it wasn't going to happen. It would not come to be. Uh, the finality of it was um, difficult at that time. So – in, in 1985, you know, you're on record of saying, you know, that's when you found your faith and you, and you just touched on that. But yeah. you said you were trying to find your purpose in life. What did you mean by that? Was that from more of an athletic or what did you really mean by trying to find your purpose? I think in life it, it wasn't necessarily athletic. It was the totality of your reason for being. Why am I here? What do I have to offer? What is the purpose of my life in the grand scheme of things. If, in fact, there's a God who gave me life, created me, endowed me with the gifts and abilities I had to realize the dream of being a pro player, uh, then what more is there to my existence? I had always been of the mind that basketball was just a part of me. It wasn't my total identity. It was an important part. It was a big part. But it wasn't the essence of who I was. And clearly, as um, you go through sometimes, it could be adversity. It could be great success. Uh, you tend to think as you grow older and start to look and beyond yourself, you start thinking about, well, um, what am I to be doing? Who am I to be? How am I to be in impacting the world that is in my sphere of influence? And so, Basketball was one avenue, and when that part of when playing was eliminated, then uh, it caused me to, to revisit that particular question. And when I did, uh, a local minister in Indianapolis helped me discover what the Word of God says about reason for being who he created you to be and how you can walk in that by faith through Jesus Christ. And so... Um, I went on a journey from probably spring of 86 till fall, late fall of 86 to where I came to a place where I put my trust and faith in, in the person of Christ for forgiveness of sin and the promise of new and abundant life going forward. And that relationship permeates all and everything that I am and attempt to be. Yeah, and, and to put it in perspective, those that most know you, Clark, you're a very well-recognized name, but those that don't, obviously from East Cleveland, uh, illustrious high school player, I think ranked third in the country coming out of high school, offers from pretty much everyone in the country, and then uh, had an incredible career at The Ohio State University. And, Clark, we do have a Michigan fan on this call, and it's not me. <laughs> I knew that was coming. So, I, I said the M word. Well, not I mean, Will not hold it against him. Will not hold it against him. We had Tim Kite on here, Urban Meyer on here. We're, we're working him hard, yeah. man. We're, we're, we're saying, man, we, 
<laughs> I, I'm trying to be a good influence. You talk about influence, just like uh, you had in Indianapolis. This is we're trying here. So anything you can do to turn Mr. Blackman into a, a Ohio State Buckeye, we we do appreciate that. Well, I'm just thankful that he's had a chance to rub shoulders with that kind of greatness by way of the podcast with Tim Kite and Urban Meyer. Those are those are bright lights in uh, in Ohio State circles and even beyond. Tim Kite does phenomenal work with the mind and heart and brain people. So, uh, no, that's pretty cool that those guys have been on. And I got I got sure. a little something special for you. So, on the preferences and say. I, uh, I have a little Kellogg connection here. So I was, uh, my basketball career, which I was more of a football guy, was ended by your son at DeSales High School. I was at Granville High School. Knocked me out two years in a what? row. And I guarded him as a freshman. What? Yeah, yeah. Is so, that right? So yeah. which, which son would it have been? When did you graduate high school? I would have uh, graduated high school in 2004. So he would have been a freshman. 2004. Yeah, so it would have probably been Alex then, my oldest Yes, yeah. Alex, yeah. So, yeah, it would have um, been Alex, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. – but with that, I, I figured I'd still be nice, and and because I'm a I'm a C- Cleveland uh, season ticket holder. I know you're a big Browns fan. I got my Bernie Kosar jersey oh, yeah. here, and yes, uh, we're those about to glory days when Bernie and those guys were rolling. Yes, sir. So I'm trying to get Calvin not only to be a Buckeye but be the Brownie. So I, I need that help too. But uh, anyway, our Browns are on the move. About to shock the they're world. They're on the again. move, man. Yeah, they're <laughs> heading in the right direction. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, KC is so so good. But I'm thrilled to see what Cleveland has been able to do. Their stability there. I think we've got the right coach. A lot of good pieces on the field. And so I'm thrilled, I mean, to be able to get to the playoffs and then advance against Pittsburgh in dominating fashion. Yeah. I mean, that had um, that had all of Cleveland on a high and all the Brown fans all over the country extremely proud. So uh, I'm diehard. My dad and uncle were both Cleveland police officers when I was growing up and they would moonlight as security at Brown's games at the old municipal stadium. And as an eight, nine, 10 year old, I would hang out with them, get into the game before the dog pound was the dog pound and hang out in the bleachers. Those fans would take care of me, buy me hot dogs, make sure I had hot chocolate. I'd be freezing my butt off and wouldn't want to be anywhere else than hanging out with my dad and uncle and the whole routine of getting to the stadium early, watching them put their uniforms on, getting into the bleachers, and then watching the games. And on occasion, I might even get a real NFL football when they kicked it into the bleachers, into the stands, because I sat right behind the goalpost. And in that day and age, the police officers used to collect the football. They would catch it, and then they'd take it downstairs. And two or three times, my dad and uncle found a way to pilfer one of those footballs for me. That's wow. awesome. What a story. Yeah, man. Yeah, great memories. Great memories of hanging out. So I'm, I'm Browns fan from – I'm 59 now, so let's just say 50 years, man, I've been pulling and cheering yeah. for – for the Cleveland Browns. Well, we appreciate you representing Ohio, uh, representing the Buckeyes and obviously Cleveland. And something, speaking of the Browns, you talk about humility and ability. And I think that's something I've seen in the organization, let's use as the, as the Cleveland Browns, of a more humble approach. They obviously have ability, but I think the more humble approach, in my opinion, has been seen, whether if it's we're on our third uh, string, you know, guard that Baker Mayfield met in the locker room before the game, or if it's, you know, <laughs> our whole wide receiver core's out, right? I mean, 
I think yeah. that's in sports, you know, at least recently that has shown me just, can you talk about in your life? And then also when I, when I heard you say that, you know, how important humility and ability is, can you kind of touch upon that? Yeah, I, I tell you, man, when you um, think about being successful or just making the most out of what your particular skills and abilities and opportunities are, I don't think anybody gets to their optimal, maximal level without some ingredient of humility. Because humility, to me, is foundational to keeping it from being just about you. And in the world of sports, in the game of life, it's not solely about you and what you do and what you accomplish or what you have. There's a broader, bigger, more meaningful mosaic to, to life, to team, to success. And Again, as a believer, as a, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, um, humility is foundational to, to that relationship where my life is surrendered to God through faith in Christ. And my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God, and it's to be used to positively impact and influence others. And when you look at ability, that's critical to have any level of success in whatever you're doing, you have to have some some level of ability or aptitude as we talk about sports in particular. Um, but the willingness to uh, not make it about you and to think about the other folks that help make it happen, for you and Calvin, there are a number of people that we don't see or hear that are a big part of what you guys are doing on this podcast. It's the same when I'm on the air with Brad Nestler or Carter Blackburn or Jim Nance or Gumble or whoever it might be. There are tons of folks that are part of our team that are behind the scenes doing their job at a high level so that we all can do our jobs at a high level. And it's the same in our lives. We have to, there, there are other people that are, 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 are important to us being the best that we can be. So that, that's how I view um, humility. Ability is something that, that God gives you. And then how you handle it, uh, to me, starts with recognizing it's not all about you and it's not just for you to um, take credit for whatever you do with it. When you talk about ability, um, do you transition, you know, you've been, you've been, CBS, you've been involved in sports and, and commentating for, for a very long time, but you know, we had Jay Billis on, and he talked about making $200, you know, his first couple games and whatnot. Yeah. When you made that transition, and I was trying to find, you know, some of those hurdles or adverse moments that you may have had when you were making that transition into broadcast. But for those who don't know, can you talk about, were there any of those moments or times where when you really made that transition where it was like, you know, whether I don't know if I can do this or, you know, this is tougher than I imagined or really some of those speed bumps that you had to get over? My speed bumps were more the experience of becoming a broadcaster, not a, not necessarily a um, deficit of competence in being able to do it. Um, clearly, I had gotten a pretty good education in basketball as a player. I played in high school at a really high level. I played in college at the highest levels. And then I went to the highest level 
as a player and proved that I was a good player at that level for the time that I played. So basketball, I knew. I had done it. I had achieved. And so many of the principles in sports are transferable to other areas. When you talk about self-starting, discipline, grinding, working through success and failure, handling losses and wins, uh, realizing that you need teammates to be your best, what it takes. I mean, there's all kinds of connectors between what's required to achieve in sports and how you can apply those same things to other areas. And so I never felt like I couldn't do it. I had some blunders behind the microphone (laughs) that taught me some really good lessons. I'll give you two real quick. One, my start was with the Pacers on radio. That was the team that I played for. And I only played five years for the Pacers, but I worked as a broadcaster, both radio and television, and in the front office, so that my total time with the Pacers as an employee of the Pacers was 32 years. My broadcasting start got with my, my broadcasting career got started on radio with the Indiana Pacers, and I would really I, part of my job was to interview the opposing coach for a three or four minute post pregame show. Well, I can remember distinctly with my little recorder, and this is going way back. You had to plug <laughs> in the recorder, have the cassette, and be ready to record and make sure you got it. Well, I actually did an interview. And when I went to give it to my producer, I think I had interviewed Matt Gukas, who was the coach of maybe the Magic at the time of the Sixers. I can't recall which, but I think it was Matt Gukas. And I had recorded what I thought was a good interview. But when I went to give it to my producer, the only thing that came up when he turned it on was... (laughs) No. Which is actually an empty cassette. I hadn't hit record, so I had to go back. I had to go back to Matt. I said, hey, can I get another few minutes with you? And those coaches have a pretty regimented schedule with the media, but he was gracious enough and allowed me to do it. Then another time, I was actually early in my broadcasting career, and this was an embarrassing situation, but it taught me a valuable lesson. I actually, calling a college game, referred to an official in a – condescending manner and that I didn't I brushed off his name in other words I acknowledged him as an official but I don't know what his name is I said something to that effect on the air don't you know the next time I was at a site with that official he came up to me and said hey my name is such and such and I never ever forgot that. There was actually a guy named Rick Hartzell. He doesn't referee anymore. But he came, he wasn't mean, belligerent. He basically said, my name is Rick Hartzell. Because I had dismissed because I hadn't checked his name before I went on the air. And don't you know now, it's it's something that I, I'm almost maniacal about now yep. in terms yep. of making sure I remember. And if I'm going to refer not only to officials, but to anybody, if I come on a show, I want to be able to say Kyle and Calvin. If I'm on the show, whether I see you or not, if I'm in a building and I'm going to interact with you, I want to be able to call you by your name. It's a small thing, but it's a big thing. And so that reinforced, I'd had some mentors talk to me about the importance of recognizing folks by their name. 
especially when you might have some notoriety and people call your name really relatively easily. But um, that reinforced that. And it was a mistake that I made on the air that um, I share with, with young broadcasters whenever I get a chance to, to offer tidbits. Well, we're going to wow. – we, we sit right behind uh, the announcer or where, where you'll be the broadcasters for uh, University of Cincinnati. We have season tickets right there. So we're if you're ever down this mm-hmm. way, right now the program's down. But if you're back, um, we'll, we'll keep you accountable for that. You walk by uh, Calvin and Kyle, well, you better uh, – we'll, we'll hold you yeah, accountable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Actually, I've got the uh, – I think I've got the Bearcats game at Houston. Okay. Um, I think that's on the 23rd. Yeah, we're scheduled, that's scheduled to be a CBS game, and I'm scheduled to call that one down in Houston. So uh, I think they'll bounce back. Don Brandon will move them in the right direction. Good, good, good. That's good to hear. And you talk about owning your growth and development and just going back to those instances, mm-hmm. right, those learning lessons, those opportunities of improvement. Can you touch upon you know, maybe someone, I think that ownership mentality is so critical. So many people and we see in our line of business, in the, in, the, in the people world, we're in staffing, you know, deflecting responsibility. Can you talk about how you, in your career, own that development like you just discussed? Well, I've had so many phenomenal folks come alongside me and support me and encourage me and teach me, starting with my late mom and dad extended family that I grew up around in Cleveland, aunts and uncles that just would not allow excuses to be part of the equation for me or my siblings. Clearly things will happen to you. Some will be good. Some won't be so good. Many will be beyond your control. But what you can control is how you will respond. You guys have had Tim Kite on, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. event, response, yep. outcome. I'm a big believer in that you have to be able to determine and you have the opportunity to choose how you will respond. You can't control what others may say, think, or do, but you always control how you choose to respond. And that, to me, is part of owning your development. Everybody's journey and story will be different. Some will have a better head start than others, whether it's racially engendered or economically engendered or environmentally engendered. There will be uneven plane surfaces. There will be imbalances. Fair is not always equal. So what you have the ability to control is your pursuit of being the best you can be given the abilities and circumstances that you have. And that to me is owning your race, owning your journey. And in the world of sports, we see it all the time. You see it in all aspects of life. Somebody that's well ahead of the group at some point, and then somebody you haven't even heard about passes them by. Why? Maybe they were late developing. That could be part of it. But the other part is they continue to own their development. They continue to overcome weaknesses or improve weaknesses, accentuate strength, whether it's through knowledge, whether it's through experience or a combination of both. And so that's something that we individually have control over. My development, 
I might be limited in how high I can jump, how fast I can run, but can I get better? And what will it take for me to get better? And am I willing to do those things that will allow me to get better? That to me is uh, owning owning your development and not being satisfied with where you currently are, being open to the possibilities of being able to be better and maybe do more. Yeah, and you also talk a lot about controlling effort, attitude, and faith, right? And I think going on to – You guys do your homework, man. <laughs> we you do. You guys do your homework, so, boy. <laughs> we you were, guys don't come on the air naked, well, man. Well, you guys well, go well, deep. Ryan well, Hawk wouldn't well, let us uh, – he, he doesn't yeah, let us Ryan go Hawk, easily, so he listens to all yeah, of these. Ryan, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll give credit, like you said. Sure. You give credit to where credit's due. And we have, we're very lucky <laughs> to, right. to have the best help us out here. But, you know, something that was, I guess – you know, effort, attitude, and faith. And I think something me and Calvin, we're trying to walk that journey and be better in that faith aspect. And it's something I think was critical as we've talked about. Let's talk about those three elements real quick, effort, attitude, and faith. And so those three have really driven your success from my understanding. Can you touch upon those? Yeah, and they all flow out of my relationship with, with God through Christ. Those are foundational biblical principles. Faith obviously speaks for itself. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing is the word of Christ according to the scriptures. So faith is foundational. That's where it begins. The beginning of wisdom is knowledge. So faith is foundational from a biblical, spiritual standpoint for me. And that's a personal call. I can't grow your faith. I can encourage you in your faith journey, Mm -hmm. you and Calvin, but I can't grow you there. God has to be doing the work through his spirit and word. And so faith is foundational, and that's, again, a personal call. I can't have a personal relationship with Christ for my kids. That's something they have to do. They have to choose that. So it's a personal call, faith. The effort component is simply the amount of energy you're going to exert to try to realize your stated objective or goal. I mean, again, that's something that we have control over how hard and smart and diligently and persistently are we going to work? How hungry are we going to be to, to get better? And how willing are we going to be to do those things that are required and maybe sacrifice some instant gratification for some delayed gratification? That's effort. That's all part of effort in terms of trying to maximize your ability. And then attitude, again, is a personal call. And I spoke to this just a little bit ago. We can't very much, there's very little when you start to think about it that we actually can fully control. We feel like we want to control things, but there's so much, there's so much more that we can't control than we can. And so for me, those three things are areas that I really do have some level of control over. My faith, my attitude. Not talking about Kyle's attitude or Calvin's or your producers or direct. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my attitude because that is in the sphere of my control. How I'm going to respond, how I'm going to handle the platform or the success or the opportunities or the challenges that I'm presented with. How am I going to treat people who know me and don't know me? That's an attitude thing. How am I going to respond when I'm criticized? Fairly or unfairly, how am I going to respond when I'm cut off in the middle of the road for no reason? 
and it causes some, how am I going to respond? What is my attitude going to be? That, I, I can't control what that person has done, but that's why those three things are kind of pillars of what I attempt to share when I speak and how I try to live, quite honestly, because those, I can have some significant direct control of and influence over. I, you don't, you're not a coach, but just listening to you, <laughs> I, you know, I get energized. I, you know, I can run through a wall listening to you talk, Clark, you know, and, and just your messaging and the energy that, that you have and, and whatnot. Um, you know, you have such a, such a great message. Um, I don't know, Kyle, did you want to get into, did you want to get into? Yeah, let's get him on the hot uh, seat. We do a hot, hot seat. Little, I don't think we're rapid too, fire. We do a rapid fire. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, you know, uh, special K. So we'll see. He calls you uh, Clark. I call him special, special K or Mr. Kellogg. Put respect on that name, Calvin. Clark is fine. Clark is fine. What we're going to find out though, I did find another nickname that he, that, that he was given, um, you know, back in the day. So, so you, I can kick it off with that if you want. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. Go it. right ahead, man. Go right ahead. So, where does the name Gentle Giant come from? Oh, wow. I don't know who actually – you know, actually, I've always tried to present myself that way because my dad was much that way. He was okay. 6'4", 230, and obviously growing up in the 50s, that's a pretty big dude. And he wore a <laughs> uniform, and he's a pretty good athlete. And many of his friends and people that I would interact or encounter around Cleveland where he grew up would always rave about – his personality and how he was a big, strong guy, but he was a gentle guy. So that's part of how I try. And, and gentleness isn't weakness. A lot of times right. being gentle is a form of, of strength, really. So um, I, I, I kind of um, I find that endearing when you can be a, a big guy. And on some campuses, I was a big guy because of my basketball ability. So um, to be gentle is, um, is complimentary to me. Gentle Giant Junior. I like it. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And I know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of your uh, guys you looked up to. So he, you know, he was, I wouldn't consider him a gentle giant, but he yeah. seems like a nice guy. So, Yeah, man. And he was well-read and just um, an activist. And the more I learned about him as I was growing up and following his career on the court and then read about him off the court, I just have great admiration and respect. And um, he was one of the first big tall basketball players I saw that had so much skill and grace as I was growing up in the uh, during his time at UCLA. No doubt, no doubt. So speaking of uh, basketball and a game of horse, this is pretty well known, obviously. President Obama yeah. took you down. Now, is, yeah. is there a rematch yeah. that we can get? I know I know that sounds like... No, know. he wouldn't give me one, Kyle. Kyle, he wouldn't oh. give me one. Hey, listen to this now. I had four interactions with President Barack Obama, highlights of my life, and amazing that basketball connected me to the sitting president and the first black president in the history of the country. Basketball is what connected us. And he got me in the first meeting, uh, a game of POTUS. Um, I had him down pretty good early and let up. He got the momentum back and fairly won and described it as such. And the next time I was going to interview him, we actually attempted to try to do a rematch on the White House court, and he politely gave me the Heisman. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, I think he was he was he was happy with the the, the, the first result and didn't want to um, see if things would change. So it worked out fine. I mean, some of my brethren in the basketball fraternity still um, want to disown me for not taking him down, but. <laughs> I think it. Um, I think it worked out well for for all parties. Yeah, there, there's a right, yeah, right. there's a there's a video of him. I don't know what high school gym he was in, but it was when he was the president. He just steps up on the corner of the three and just shoots it lefty and drains yeah. it and walks out. I'm like, dude, that is Walked incredible. Yeah. yeah, no, no, he's legitimate. He's got a legitimate jumper, and he's got um, plenty of swag, and um, <laughs> knows how to and knows how to um, talk a little trash. While he's hooping too, so um, all of that is real. None of that stuff was photoshopped. Yeah, he's got to be the best best athlete yeah. as a president. I don't know a lot of the older presidents, but I, I can't imagine a, a president shooting a jumper and a J and get to the lane like I've seen him. So I don't know. He's got to be the no, best. No, I would, I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so NBA 2K, for those that don't know, is, is, is a video game um, in which I haven't played in years, but. You are one of the announcers on the video yeah. game. One, I guess it's kind of two part. What's it like, I guess, recording for that? But number two, are you a better announcer on the game or in real life? <laughs> well, I'll go with the second question first. I think I'm about the same because, funny enough, I don't play the game either, but my sons do. And on occasion when they've been playing and I'm watching, I'm thinking what comes out of my mouth in the game as a commentator. So I would think that would lend itself to being applicable, whether I'm calling the game live or watching the video game version of myself, because if I'm thinking it as I'm watching it, and then I say it, that is pretty much in line. So um, recording it is quite fun. It's um, being in the studio. We get some script guidance, but we often, Kevin and I and Greg Anthony and the other announcers, um, clearly put it in our own tone and voice based on the situation. Uh, it's demanding, more demanding. It's been great fun, and it's connected me with a full generation of gamers that have no idea that I actually used to play <laughs> at some point. So it's been real cool in that regard. But the recording of it is two to four hours max is all I can do session-wise. And I usually do eight to ten sessions a summer between May and July. And then the game programmers do the rest. We used to have to do it together. Kevin and I would be in a studio somewhere together, but because of technology, Kevin will be in Kansas City or wherever he might be, and Greg will be where he is, and they'll play voice, they'll play each of those guys talking in my ear, and I can respond to them as if they're in the same room with them. So it's um, a pretty cool process, and it's been great, great fun, and a real blessing and privilege to um, be part of um, one of the more popular sports video games in the world yeah that, that's awesome you would never know you would never think all that goes into it that's awesome yeah it's, it's fun though. it's a lot of fun so one of the last questions clark and we'll, we'll get wrapped we appreciate all your time we find a the morning routine what is your morning routine we love to ask our guests people like yourself that has sustained excellence overcame adversity doing big things what is your morning routine that varies between off season and in season but it's pretty similar Typically, as soon as I wake up, even before my feet hit the side of the bed, I'm giving thanks to God for the rest that I had through the night and what's in front of me for the next day. And then I'll spend time in my Bible once I do get up. I typically read the psalm, that, not the psalm, the proverb that corresponds to the day 
of the month. There are um, 31 Psalms, um, Proverbs rather. And so you can actually, on the 31 day months, you can actually get one in each day. Each day they correspond. And so I tend to um, read through those. And then I spend time, um, some type of morning routine to work out, just some mobilization stuff. But prayer, the word, some way to get my body lubricated, and then um, then we're off and off and on the move. Now, now you're out uh, hitting golf balls, so obviously you're you're getting. Yeah, it well, done. again, off season, in season, yeah, yeah. Off season, <laughs> in season dictates. Um, yeah, but there's plenty of time during the off season to try to get out and, and swing my sticks. All right, I'm going to end with this last one. And when we ask it, and before you answer, you have to. See if you can help us with getting this, making this happen. So, question is, who is one person we should have on the Underdog Podcast? Wow, one person you should have on the Underdog Podcast. Just one? I, I mean, you know, if you, I mean, you're Clark Kellogg, you, I'm sure you you probably got a couple connections, but if you know somebody that you think will be a great guest to share their story that our that our community listeners can learn from, you know that's that's what we're looking for. But yeah, multiple works too. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you who would be a good guest for you guys. James Brown would be good. Colleague at CBS, got a great story. And then one of my um, other colleagues. I'm only a part-time colleague, though, and he's um, on everybody's guest list, Charles Barkley. Charles. Sir yeah. Charles. Charles. Yeah, he, <laughs> you, you, your guys is chemistry. I mean, your chemistry with everybody up there. But I think chemistry with Charles, as you – I mean, we could that could be a whole other podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we get along. We got great respect for each other, man. We have a good time in the three weeks we're together. And, uh, he's a terrific guy, man. Really enjoy hanging out with him during the tournament. Yeah, we, we get Sir uh -huh. Charles on, man. We've we've made it, Calvin. So, <laughs> no. yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Oh uh, well, goodness. Um, well, no, we definitely appreciate your time. Uh, you know, taking time out of your schedule to join us here uh, on the Underdog. Um, how can our listeners, you know, keep in touch with you or follow what you're doing? You know, whether it's social media or obviously during during the NCAA tournament. On Twitter, I'm um, fairly active during the hoop season. I'm not a I'm not a heavily engaged um, Twitter guy, but that's where I typically do most of my connecting. Uh, and I don't even know my handle. Is it at Clark Kellogg CBS or at CBS Clark Kellogg, one or the other? Um, but Twitter is typically where I kind of hang out. And um, I don't typically publicize other stuff. I mean, I do things, but Twitter is probably the best place where you might be able to track down uh, – I'm not a huge self promoter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your work, your, your, uh, your, your humility. Yeah, humility and ability. That's for sure. You, you show that. And like I said, I appreciate the Browns tweet, if anything. And I, I was following, I was like, man, between you and LeBron and everybody, I'm like, I, I think we're, uh, might be America's <laughs> team, Calvin. You better be careful. If we, we pull off the upset this weekend. Man, America's uh, – I think we the Cleveland Browns might become America's team. I'm just saying. I might be a little uh, biased. Yeah, it's, but. A, it's a possibility, man. They've got an unbelievable, unbelievable fan base, one of the best in all of sports. And 
I'm biased, obviously, being a Cleveland native, but the Cleveland fans are as good as any in all the sports because of their loyalty, their passion, their knowledge. Uh, there are other fan bases that are comparable, but um, I don't know many better than the Cleveland sports fan base. Well, amen, brother. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. You're an inspiration to us, Clark, and uh, really appreciate your time spending with us on Underdog. Thank you so much. My my great pleasure. Enjoyed it very much, guys. Hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe do it again sometime. Yeah, Absolutely. awesome, awesome. I appreciate your time. 